Hey, everybody. All right. Well, we have a very filled service this morning. So we have not just baptisms, but like this is also our upper room communion service, which is just like the ultimate New Testament church doing both on the same Sunday. Like this is the two ordinances we have, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we're just like, ah, we'll do them together because we're that good. So, all right. Well, because it's upper room, you'll know that we like to keep the kids in the service with us. We like to have them an understanding of, of what the, the Lord's table, the bread and cup represent. Uh, and we always get to do some little fun little demonstration, some little fun thing uh, with the kids. So with that being said, adults, come on up on stage. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Kids, come on up on stage. All the adults are like, wait, huh? What is happening here? All right, there we go. There we go. Ooh. Ooh, they're running. They're running. You're going to go right behind the podium. Come on this side. Come in the middle. You want to be around this table here. Actually, gather around the table. No, not sit on the table. Come up around here. Come, up, come on up around here. Come, there we go. There we go. Oh, you'll see, oh, not right in front of the table now. Look, come over this way. There you go. There you go. Because they hey, come over this way a little bit more. This way, just so it's not wine. What'd you say? <laughs> know how your house is, I guess. All right, let's go. All right. Um, so here we are. A little fun thing to do to understand. It is fun. This is really cool. As long as it works, it's worked like three times. So it's got to work. Which, Three, well, four. One was it is, but uh, just scratch that from your memory. All right, so here we have this cup. And what does it say on this cup? Us. Uh, I don't know. Um, us. It says us. And, you know, right now in the 9 a.m. class, we're kind of, you know, we're going through the book of Genesis. So this is like pre-fallen us, and it's clear, right? Nothing corrupting it. It's great, just like Adam and Eve in the beginning. Here, slide this way a little bit, just so. There you go, because what's going to happen is the people on that side, they're going to be like, we couldn't see anything. And I'd be like, I'm sorry, the kid was standing right there. So anyways, here we go. So this is us, but what happened in the garden? They ate. Why are they back there? <laughs> All right, so what's, what does it say on this one? Oh, good eyes. It says sin. There he goes, right? Does it say sin? Yeah. All right, so we're introduce. It, like it is not wine. Get over this. Is, is it soy sauce? Oh, man. Is it soy sauce? It's not. It's not. It's not. <laughs> Guys, the point is not to figure out. Just let the magic happen, all right? There we go. So we're going to introduce the sin. Sin. There you go, into the water. And you know what? The Bible says that even the tiniest bit of sin, it is not wine. <laughs> All right, so the smallest little thing, look at that. What happens to the water here? It turns yellow. It turns yellow and nasty and disgusting, right? That's what, like, sin, don't drink this, don't touch it. All right, so that's what it looks like, right? So you guys see everything out there? Does it look like water? No. 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 Who said wine? 
Somebody said wine. You're going to be disappointed when you take communion later. All right, so here we have it. But we have another solution, right? Jesus. We're going to jump the gun on it. Okay, what does this one say? There we go, there we go, there we go. This is not wine either. Scratch wine, everybody. They're going to think we're a terrible church here. All right, so... What do you think happens when we introduce Jesus into sin? Poof gone. Poof gone. This is the part where you hope you have your mixtures correct. Here we go. There's nothing left in there. But you know, this is clear. And you know, when we sin, we still have a little bit of sin in our lives, just so you know. But Jesus comes in, and he makes us just as new. And we're going to look at a story today of somebody who was caught up in sin and then became new person in Christ. Now, here's the thing. I had another thing also for you guys to look at, and I'll explain it because I forgot it at the house. But here's what the cool thing is. It's an egg, and if you can do this, go home. You take an egg and you put it in vinegar for like 48 hours. Anybody know what happens to it? It, be, it doesn't disappear. That'd be awesome. But it becomes a little rubbery egg. It becomes something it new. Uh, I learned that it is not really bouncy. Oh. You still need to be very careful with it because it is still an egg on the inside. And if you happen to be at my office on my desk when I was testing this and I tried to bounce it, I ended up with egg all over my desk. So... It was pretty fun. All right. So what do we see? So Jesus makes us new, right? He washes us out the sin of our lives. You, can, you cannot drink this. So, uh, no, you can't drink this. All right. So that is all I have for you guys can come up. Here's the point you all really come up here for is the candy. You guys can take three pieces. Three pieces. Three pieces. Don't spill that either. Just kind of, yeah. Yep, there you go. Good job. All right. This should go a lot faster. All right. Hurry up. You got 10 seconds. This is not like the Halloween take three, take the bucket. Did you get one? You get a wine lollipop? There you go. All right. There you go. Patiently waiting. Uh-oh. Night. Just in, all right, just in case. Here, since you're up here, can you take that away? There you go. Don't drink it. You've been warned. All right. Anybody know how that works? Anybody know what, what it was? It's not wine. <laughs> what kind of church do you guys grow up in? Man. Not oil, Uh, no, not vinegar. Vinegar was the egg. It was just water, iodine, and then Jesus is bleach. There's some kind of, you know, it's all spiritual training in there or something, so. Try it at home. It's fun. If you don't get it just right enough, sometimes it doesn't wash out everything. Too much iodine, not enough bleach. You figure it out and you test it. It's a fun little thing. So, 
All right. So here we are. Remember, it is our upper room service, the time when we remember Christ. But we're also continuing on in our Life of Christ series. And last week, Jim kind of looked at, kind of we're looking at post-resurrection Jesus. Um, we get a couple glimpses uh, into the ministry of Jesus after uh, his resurrection from the cross. And one is his ascension. And the next one is what we're going to see today in Acts chapter 9 when he appears to Paul uh, on his road to Damascus. So let's go ahead and pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning uh, in a time of remembrance of uh, your, your death on the cross and a time of looking toward these baptisms and thinking of these lives that you've changed uh, for you and that have understood their place of sin but understanding the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are as we think on these things, reflecting on the ministry of Jesus Christ now after his resurrection. And we have a lot, like I said, in the book of Acts, a couple instances. We have also the book of Revelation that we studied in the 9 class a few months ago. It was another aspect of Jesus' ministry after he raises from the dead and ascends back into heaven. So today we're going to look at the man of Saul. And I noticed as I was typing this, I was typing Saul in various places, Paul in different places. So forgive me if you don't get confused. Remember, Saul and Paul are the same person. I'll try and make sure I, even though as I read it or as I memorize it, I'll try and make sure I stick with one name. I'll try and say Saul, but if I say Paul... Don't stone me, because that's what Paul would do. Just kidding, little biblical humor there. All right, so what do we know about Saul? Well, the thing that we know before we jump into this is that he was born in Tarsus, and Tarsus is on kind of the southern coast uh, of modern-day Turkey. We know that he was a Pharisee. Uh, we know that he was trained, taught under the, the Gemelli is one of a, if you go through kind of Jewish history, a very popular teacher who was in, Jew, in um, Jerusalem at the time. Um, we get all this information about Paul as he's sharing his testimony uh, in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, where he kind of just says, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarshish. He, he was brought up in the city. He was brought up in these teaching ways. And, and he talks about how he was zealous for the Lord in all these things. And if we know about Pharisees, we've been going through the life of Christ, so we've talked a lot uh, about Pharisees, and we see that they are very strict followers of the law. We see Jesus having a lot of confrontations with the Pharisees, right? And it doesn't actually say it in the Gospels, but I, th I think it's almost kind of safe to assume in, in some way maybe Paul was present as these groups of Pharisees were around Jerusalem, maybe with some of the things that Jesus was doing. As Paul writes about his, his testimony, as he writes about his life, he, he says a, a lot of things. And in Philippians chapter 3, he talks about this. He says, if anyone thinks he has a reason to be confident in his flesh, he's kind of boasting about his former life here and talking about the gospel. He says, I have more. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day which is like the key day for the Jews to be circumcised. So I, he's like, I was circumcised exactly when I was supposed to be circumcised. 
He says, I am the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the tribe of the first king, Saul. It was a tribe that was very looked upon within the Jewish, if you were a tribe of Benjamin. He calls himself the Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, if there was anybody who was a good Hebrew, it was me. It's like if I would just say, like, I am the, the basketball of all basketball players. You would say, yeah, right. And you would be correct. But that's what he's saying. He says, I am the, the Hebrews. I am the best of all. So that's kind of where we get a little bit of background on his training, on his thought process of, of where he grew up, what he was as a Pharisee. But then we get introduced to him also in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, it says this, Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This passage, if you know, is the, the stoning of Stephen. And in Acts chapter 6 and 7, Stephen gives this great speech about the history of Israel and the Messiah and the rejection of the people. And the Jewish leaders get upset and they decide that they need to get rid of Stephen because of the things that he is saying. So they pick up their rocks and they kill him. And it tells us that Saul was there. And then if you look at Acts chapter 1, it even says, And Saul approved of his execution. So here we have this man Saul there at the stoning of Stephen, giving approval for his actions. Then if we look down a little bit further in Acts 8 verse 3, it says, But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Yikes. It is a strong imagery here. It says he is ravaging the church, taking off men and women and, and putting them into prison. In fact, if you look in Philippians chapter 3, as Paul is recounting his life, he says, I had a zeal for being a persecutor of the church. You think about zeal, a passion, an enthusiasm. He says, that was my passion. I was going after the church. I was going after those Christians who were, were following this new man of Jesus. I was the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Pharisee of all Pharisees. Now, does this sound like the, the Saul or the Paul that we know from the New Testament later on? No, it's hard to, be, to almost relate these two people when we think about who Paul becomes after this meeting with Jesus that we will see. So let's pick up and see what changed for Saul. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to begin uh, reading in verse 1, and we're going to kind of work our way through chapter 9 here. So I'm going to begin, as I said, with verse 1. It says, But Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here we're jumping into this story, and this is the, 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 the Saul that we've been talking about. Here he is, breathing out threats and murder against the disciples. 
He actually goes to the high priest and asks for this letter so that he can travel elsewhere outside of Jerusalem and, and have the right to take any believers that he finds, bring them back to Jerusalem bound. This man was not a man that if you were in the early church that you wanted to come across. Paul again recounts his past life in Acts chapter 22, verse 4, and he says, I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Then in Acts 26, when he's recounting his testimony again, he says, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Here he is, this, this dangerous man. But as we're going to see, his life is going to totally change. And let's continue in verse 3. It says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. You know, I kind of was thinking about the Christmas story as this great light that appears to those to announce the coming of Jesus. See, we have a lot of references to light in Scripture. Scripture talks about Jesus being the, the light of the world, the light who came to shine in the darkness to rid the world of the darkness of sin. Paul, as he recounts this event, talks about it being around noontime. And if you think about noon in the Middle East, the sun is pretty hot, it's probably pretty bright, but here comes a light that overpowers even the light of the sun at noon. It, it is something that knocks him down off his feet. But this light stood out, and it caused him to fall to the ground. And we pick it up in verse 4, and it says, And in falling to the ground, he heard a voice to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will do what you are told. Like many people in the Old Testament, he is called out by name, Saul, Saul. And he clearly identifies that this is not the usual speaking to that I have. And he at least recognizes it. He says, Lord, who is this? God, is this you? Who, who, who's talking to me? And then he must get the absolute most shocking thing in the world that completely flips his world upside down. It says, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. All this time, Saul thought he was doing the work of God. He thought he was doing what he was called to do, thought he was ridding the world of this way, of these followers of Jesus. But now in this one moment, he has realized everything he has done against the church, he has done against God and Jesus Christ. To hurt the church is to hurt Jesus. We are identified as the bride of Christ in this relationship that we have with Christ. So when you think about it, every stone that was cast at Stephen was a stone thrown at God himself. Every home that Saul would barge into was a home that was truly worshiping the one true God. Every person that he drug through the streets and forcibly threw into prison 
was somebody who was a follower of the true God. Every man and woman he abused was a child of God. Everyone he had chained and imprisoned was a child of God. Every person whom he had killed was a charge of murder against the child of God that they were. In this one moment, Saul's worldview is completely destroyed. And a new one is about to take its place. Jesus was humbling this prideful and violent man, turning this person of terror for the church into to be a great evangelist for the word. The ironic thing is the letters that he would carry to persecute the church in his former life, later on he would then write letters to encourage the churches in their growth. So here we have this man in this life-changing event. The story continues in verse 7. It says, The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor he drank. So the people who were with him heard this, but this message wasn't for them. They, they saw nothing. This was a message specifically for Saul. And now we read that even though he could see now, he was still, though, physically blind. And he is told now to just sit and wait. We'll wait for the further instruction that is to come. So then we get introduced to a new character in the story, Ananias. And he gets some pretty specific instructions to picking up in verse 10. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for the man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many things about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias, he, he's listening to these instructions. He says, here I am, Lord, I'm ready to serve. But he didn't expect this calling. He didn't expect to have to go and meet with Saul. Can anybody blame him? I think we all would have the same kind of reaction. So you want me to go talk to who? He says, Lord, you don't know the things that I know about him. He's murdering and locking the, the believers in prison. How could I go to him? He doesn't respond. He just says, go. He says, you're going to find him praying, and, and he already has a vision that you're going to come and heal him, so why don't you just go? Now, I like to think that as Paul is praying, he's probably praying now a lot differently than when he prayed when he was a Pharisee. Remember the prayer of the self-righteous Pharisee? Lord, I, I'm so glad I'm not like this 
poor person, that I am this great Pharisee. Paul has probably been humbled in a way that he had never been humbled before. And a life change has overtaken him. And he is now praying to God like he had never had before. Paul was chosen by God for a specific mission. And his life training had prepared him for this. His background as a Pharisee, his background as a Roman citizen will all play into his ministry and carrying the gospel around the world. Paul is even told about the suffering that he will face. And as you read the book of Acts, we understand from his letters also the persecution that he faced as he took the gospel from city to city. So we'll pick up the story in verse 17. It says, So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So he, Ananias takes up the courage, and he goes on this mission that he has. And, and I want you to put yourself in, in Saul's shoes. Here he is, the, the persecutor of the church. The men dragging people through the city streets. And now here comes one of these followers of Christ. And then the first words he hears from Ananias is, Brother Saul. Think about the impact that had upon him. Here he was. He was probably just as afraid to meet the followers of Christ. He understands his background. He knows that they're afraid of him. But in the very next time he sees one, the very first time he sees Ananias, he says, Brother Saul, welcome to the family. And then Paul, we are told, is healed from his blindness. Many people actually think that uh, Paul suffered from vision issues throughout his ministry. They think about in 2 Corinthians, this thorn in his, his side is that maybe he has poor vision. And in letters, it talks about him writing with big letters that maybe he can see and stuff. But maybe it all traces back to this event an event of blinding to remind him of the life change that he has. And then after receiving Holy Spirit, after receiving sight, think about the hymn that we amazing grace, how sweet to sound. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. I was blind, but now I see. See, as he thinks about this in receiving the Holy Spirit, as he gets up, he is baptized, and his life is forever changed. He has a, a new mission, not to persecute the church, but to grow the church. And as we think about what this means for us today, I want us to think about questions. And we've been looking at these last two services, a lot of questions being thrown at us. Last week, Jim asked, are, are you who you want to be? And then two weeks before that, as we were looking at the prophecies of Jesus Christ and the Word of God, and I asked the question, can we rely on on the Word of God. Is His Word trustworthy? Well, today we're going to look at three questions. We're going to ask the question, who were you? We're going to ask, who are you? And then the last question we'll see is, will you answer the call? So first, let's look at who were you. And we all have a life 
that we have before we came to Christ. Paul was a Pharisee who sought to destroy and wipe out the church. Let me talk about myself for a second, because you know that everybody loves to talk about themselves. I've shared about my life change that I have experienced before as I came to Christ. And if you think about my life before Christ, there was a lot of anger and rage. I was kind of a hothead and got angry very quickly. I always share the story. Remember, I've shared this one before, where I'm across the street at the middle school playing basketball. Anybody remember this story? Mom, don't raise your hand. All right, so I'm, at, I'm playing basketball at the middle school in a rec league. I get a foul, and obviously if you play basketball, you know that you never foul. No matter what the ref calls, you never foul anybody. And I, I knew that this was the wrong call. So I kind of blow up at the referee. I kind of take the basketball and I chuck it across the gym. Hey, don't judge. (laughs) Ouch. All right. So anyway, and then I even proceed to take off my, this is like when Dennis Rodman was like at his like peak. So if you know who Dennis Rodman is, you know. So I even take off my shoes and, and throw them around and just kind of go and, and sit on the bench. And I know what you're all thinking. That doesn't seem like you. And I said, that's right, because I'm not like that anymore, unless I'm watching the Ravens. <laughs> no, that's even, that's not true anymore either. But I had this anger, and I was angry with, with, with friends and family and everything. But I, what I learned as I came through my life, and when I committed my life to Christ when I was my senior year in, in high school, I don't get like that anymore. I play basketball and I foul somebody, I'll say, I'm sorry. Like, that's not something you're supposed to do either when you foul somebody, but it's something that happens. I had no direction in my life. I was lazy. I had nothing to attain for in my life. But then Christ came into my life, and like that dirty water, he made my life new. And I can look back and say, that's who I was. That doesn't define me anymore. I am defined by the cross of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he brings into my life. But then we have a second question of who are you? And this question, you can actually fall into two different categories. Because see, your who are you could still be back at question one. You could still be lost in your sin. Your sin is what defines you. You know, you think you can just be good enough. Where scripture says, if if you break one commandment, you break one law, then you're already a sinner. So the question they always throw out is, have you ever lied in your life? And if you have, then you're already not getting into heaven. You can never do enough. You are a sinner. You are that dirty water. Is that who you are? And does your life just feel difficult? Does it feel like it just doesn't make sense that you're just struggling in life and your sin is just weighing you down? Well, if you're in that place today, today can be the day of your salvation. Repent and turn away. Repentance is literally like you're walking one direction and you turn 180 and head to Christ. It's like you're, you're walking to your sin, you're walking lost, you turn 180 and you head to the cross. And you say, that is the place 
where I find forgiveness. That is where I can change my life. And that's what happened to me when I was a senior in high school. Realizing the lost life that I had, the sin that was infected me, even though I grew up in the church. I had no understanding of what the life change was. But see, now you can look at a second group. If you come through that and if you've repented of your sins, you have a new life. You are not who you were. You are a new life in Christ. Listen to these words from Paul himself in 1 Corinthians. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a tough list. I think we all find something in our lives in that. But the key is verse 11. And he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. He goes through this list and he says all these things and he comes to a turning point in verse 11. I I love studying 1 Corinthians. It's a church that is messed up. You think we got it rough in this building? You just read 1 Corinthians and see what's happening in there. We go through that and he says, look, you were these things. He says, but you're not anymore. He says, you are different You've been changed. You are something new. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So the question is, who are you? Are you this new creation? Paul goes on, and he talks about in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In their futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that has in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Verse 19, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and practice every kind of impurity. Again, verse 20, But... But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created with the likeness of God in true holiness and righteousness. He continues in Ephesians in chapter 2. He again talks about remembering that you were time where we're separated from Christ. You were alienated from Christ without the promise, without hope. Do you feel like you have hope in this world today? Are you lost in your sins without hope? Are you you far off from Christ? In verse 14 it says, but he is our peace. He's broken down the wall. He's reconciling us in verse 16, killing off the hostility, the peace in life that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, that dirty water being made clean. 
So the question is, where are you? Are you stuck with who you were in the past? Or have you found this, this new creation? That's what we look at when we look at baptism. We see the death under water and the new life that is risen in baptism. The last question that we think about here is, will you answer the call? Ananias and Paul were both given a mission. Ananias, he answered, he says, Lord, here I am. It's a very similar wording to what you see in Genesis 22. When Abraham is called, Abraham says, here am I. In Genesis, as Jacob is called, he says, here am I. In Exodus 3, when Moses is called at the burning bush, he says, here I am. In 1 Samuel 3.10, Samuel says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And then you have the calling of Isaiah. He's, he's hearing the voice of the Lord, who shall I send? And he says, here am I, send me. All of us as believers, we have an answer to call to carry out the mission in the gospel of Christ. We don't hear anything else about Ananias in Scripture, but we know that he answered the call to go and meet with Saul. We know that as Saul, who will later be known as Paul, as he goes out into the Greek world, we know what his mission was. We have his letters. We have the words that he gave to encourage and challenge the church. Every one of us needs to answer the call. And will we say, here am I, Lord. I will carry out the mission that you have for me. Today we think about these various things as we think about the gospel and we think about the table that is before us here. And we think about remembering his body which was broken for our sins. His blood that was spilled on the cross. We don't have the, maybe the same experience that, that Saul had on that road to Damascus of this blinding light of, of Jesus Christ coming before us. But we all have a moment when we are believers when we got it. When the Holy Spirit broke through our brokenness and cleaned our water. And that's what he wants us to remember here today. I want us to invite the ushers forward as we get ready for a time of remembering Christ. I want you to think, where are you in those questions? Are you, are you still stuck in your sins? Well, today can be your day of salvation. Or maybe you've come to repentance and now, now is the time to remember and, and reflect on all he has done for you. The Bible says, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Will you repent and turn to Christ? I want you to take a few moments, confess any sins before we come to the table, or if you haven't ever accepted Christ, now's the time to accept Christ. We'll pause for a moment of prayer, and then we'll get in to our bread and the cup and remembrance. Pray to him yourself.